Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. States have always tried to play both sides of the gambling game. On one hand, gambling's a vice meant to be tightly regulated and acknowledged for its social ills. On the other hand, it's fun, it's entertaining, and you can't win if you don't play. The state has continued to represent that you will be an instant winner, but yet they knew all along that they would not be paying out the prize money. That's attorney Tom Zimmerman in Chicago talking to Marketplace about the fact that the state of Illinois' budget is in such trouble that it can't even pay out jackpots to lottery winners. And that's the quandary for states that rely on gambling revenues, like Connecticut. Much like a good run at the blackjack table, you may feel like a winner for a while, but you're always just a few bad deals away from trouble. Take the state's tribal casinos. A decade ago, they were seeing record profits, and the state was benefiting from its deal on slot revenues. Now, since the recession and the expansion of casino gambling in other states, those numbers are way down, and the tribes are working together to stave off an attack from MGM in Massachusetts. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Comment on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Is Connecticut placing too big a bet on gambling? We're going to start today with the parlor game Keno, which has been floated as a way to increase state revenues for many years now. It finally got legalized, but it's taken a while to get up and running. Brad Kane joins us. He's managing editor for Hartford Business Journal. He's been following Keno. And Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me today. So when do we expect to see Keno in, in bars and restaurants around the state? Um, I think January. Um, it's not 100% sure yet, but um, lottery is headed for a January rollout of the game. And you say lottery is, is headed for it. Maybe you can explain exactly who's running this game. It's going to be the uh, Connecticut State Lottery, right? Yeah. Um, Keno technically is a casino game, and as you know, uh, the two tribes have the exclusive right to run casino games. But um, Connecticut has looked at Keno to fill you know, holes in its budget gaps for a while now and is nearing an agreement with both the tribes to let uh, the lottery run it and put it in the lottery locations throughout the state. Um, and then once those agreements are finalized, which should be rather soon here, um, lottery is going to go full force and getting everything out by January. What do we know about those agreements with the tribes? As we're going to be talking about later in the show, the state is really making a deal with the two tribes right now to try to build a third casino in the state, to try to stave off some trouble from Massachusetts coming from the north. Does it seem likely that the deals will be struck sometime soon so that Keno can actually start to work in Connecticut? Yep. Um, the agreement, more or less, is similar to the agreement that the tribes had with the state. Um, and that agreement that they've had since you know the mid-'90s, uh, the state gets 25% of all the casino slot revenues. Um, in this case, the tribes are going to get 25%. Uh, they're going to split 25% of the Keno revenues. Do we know where Keno is going to go? I mean, do we have all of the locations where it can be found already finalized? Pretty much everywhere you can play uh, lotto games now. Um, there's about 2,800 locations um, active throughout the state right now. So those are going to start with the law in January, and then <clears throat> probably over the course of the next six months a year, we're going to look to add about another four, 600 locations throughout the state. 
And for these locations to get up and running, what, they need to get machinery put in place? They need to have special licensing? What, what else has to happen at the, at the local retail level? Well, they do need the machines in place. They need the software in place. Um, if you have, if you already uh, licensed with the lotto, uh, it, I, I don't even know if there's an extra step. I'm pretty sure that they can just implement the game right away. Um, <clears throat> luckily or unluckily, the state, as you were two years ago, um, had passed a lottery provision as, or a Kino provision as well. And so a lot of these retailers are already prepped to do that. And the CT lotto already did things like researching software and figuring out which vendors they wanted to use and things like that. So the rollout this time is expected, expected to go rather smoothly. We're talking about gambling in the state of Connecticut, and actually nationwide as a way to uh, fill state coffers. We'll be talking with someone from Illinois coming up a little bit later on in the program. We'll also be talking about this lawsuit that's been filed by MGM and the state of Massachusetts to try to stave off this new third casino being proposed by the two tribes in Connecticut and also the state of Connecticut. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. We're talking with Brad Kane, who's managing editor for Hartford Business Journal. And Harriet Jones joins us now. She's WNPR's business editor. Good to see you once again, Harriet. Nice to see you, too. We'll be talking uh, in just a moment about what's happening with this MGM lawsuit. But as I talked to Brad about Keno, it's, it's really interesting. There is still this this thing that's hanging out there about making this deal with the tribes. We'll be talking to uh, representatives from both tribes later on in the, in the program. Harriet, are you hearing anything about, about this piece of it? Because, again, we, it seems like we've been waiting for Keno forever here. I was really surprised, you know, how little fuss there's been, considering last time when it was passed in 2013, it was kind of everybody's redheaded stepchild. You know, it got slipped into in the dead of night with no public hearings, no Nobody nothing. wanted to own Keno. Exactly. Yeah. Brendan Sharkey said, well, we did this kind of because the governor asked us to plug a hole and Don Williams hated it, and uh, you know the Council on Problem Gambling had heard nothing about it, really objected to it. This time, it's been slipped in again, and there seems to be no kind of public outcry about it the way the way there was last time. Brad, are you surprised about that? How quiet it's uh, been? I'm not terribly surprised because, frankly, um, you know, two years ago the outcry was more about the way it was put into the budget, not on the actual game itself. Um, the way it had no public hearing two years ago, the way it was just kind of plugged in literally, you know, days before the session and the day, days before the budget vote. And I think that's where a lot of the objection came from, from particularly the Democratic leadership and why they repealed it that following year. But going into this year, they had those uh, conversations with Keno. They had the public hearing. Um, they gave everyone an opportunity to fully vet on it. And even the Council on Problem Gambling said they didn't necessarily object to the game. They just said they wanted to make sure there was funding available for you know, people that develop problems with gambling. So um, it seems to be pretty much smooth sailing from here on out. There wasn't too much political fight when it was inserted in the budget. And I even talked to Democratic leadership uh, a couple weeks ago, and they said they have no intention of trying to repeal this specific provision. I, I think the other thing, though, Brad, that we've raised here quite a bit is that regardless of how Kino finally got into state law, there's always been a question about how much money it's actually supposed to raise. A according to uh, the Office of Policy Management, the state wants Kino to generate something like $13.6 million this fiscal year and $30 million for fiscal year 2017. But I don't know about you, we haven't heard a whole lot of specifics about how that's supposed to happen. I mean, where those numbers come from. Do you know anything more than we do, Brad? This kind of a hope and a prayer, I think, uh, by the CT lot. I'm, I'm sure the Connecticut Lottery has people much smarter than I calculating how much each game is going to, you know, bring up and, you know, how many people buy scratch-off tickets and how that equates to how many people are going to buy keynote tickets. 
all the other games that they had. And, of course, I'm sure they'll do massive amounts of advertising once they feel they've reached a point where they can do that. Um, I know the lottery is anticipating, just in its own coffers, a $300 million increase. So, you know, $30 million a year for the, the state. I mean, it, it seems in line, especially after they cut the slice to the tribes. You know, it's interesting, Harry. As we look at this, every time we, we ta- tackle the budget implications of this, it really is hard to know. I mean, uh, we're basically hearing from Brad. It's kind of a little wish-casting here. Do you know any more details about how much Harry Kino is supposed to fill up the state coffers? I don't, but it would be interesting because there are a lot of states around us that do have Kino, so it would be interesting to, to have that comparison of, you know, I don't know whether they break that out from their lotteries about how much Kino actually makes, but that might be an interesting comparison to make. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. We're talking about gambling in the state of Connecticut. Joe's calling from Hartford. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking a call. Um, you know, it, it seems that states are increasingly uh, relying on gambling revenue, but can we have that conversation without talking about the broader context of federal revenues and how they, on I think on average, contribute about 30 percent to state budget? And those federal revenues are, are comprised of uh, uh, our, uh, our federal taxation policies, and as, as you know, part of that, I think in a, a important component to that is corporate taxes, which at one point contributed about 30% to our federal revenues. Now we're less than 9%. So there's a gap there, but can we talk about state budgets and filling that gap with uh, gambling revenue and not talk about federal budget and taxation policies? Is that uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a really good question, Joe. Thank you very much. I mean, he's talking about the, uh, filling the federal budget uh, from taxation on, on corporations, but that's an issue at the state level as well. Look, Eric, we're right in the middle of, of a season where we're trying to build a third casino to try to keep revenues and jobs from leaving the state fleeing to Massachusetts. At the same time, Connecticut is putting all hands on deck to try to maintain GE with its headquarters here. GE says we might leave because what? We tax too much, at least at the corporate level. So on one hand, we're trying to save jobs by getting bringing in more uh, gambling parlors. And on the other hand, we were maybe saying goodbye to an awful big employer who says, yeah, you're just taxing way too much. So uh, what was that, the, that phrase, the permanent fiscal crisis that oh, Ben yes. Barnes came up with? <laughs> and, you know, I think there is, a, you know, um, smart people at the state level do believe that we are too reactive. It's all about trying to plug holes here and, oh, my goodness, we're in a crisis there, and not enough about what do we want tax policy to actually achieve? What do we want to incentivize in the long term? How do we want tax policy to shape our economy? Um, So, I mean, I think there are efforts afoot to try to do something about that, but, you know, how quickly that's going to take root, I don't know. Hey, Brad, before I let you go, would you like to weigh in on that? I mean, this, this whole question of how gambling fits into the overall state budget is really interesting. I mean, we're talking here about Keno, something that could be widely available as soon as January, as you report. But at the end of the day, it's maybe going to raise $13 million in the first year, which is nowhere near enough money to do some of the things that the state really needs done. I mean, when we start looking at gambling so seriously as a way to balance the state books, does it does it make a whole lot of sense? No, I mean, it seems like every two years the state goes through this. I mean, the state two-year budget's what, like $42 billion. So, you know, if you look at the, the $45 billion that they're expecting from Keno, that's really just a drop in the bucket. But this does happen every two years where there's always a revenue shortfall and you know, they're scrambling to figure out the best ways to fill it. There's always a little hesitant to, hesitation to cut programs. 
but they don't want to, you know, necessarily, you know, increase taxes on one sector of the population, like, you know, middle class or on businesses. So they try to spread it around. And so they come up with all these little things like, you know, you know, $45 million here, you know, $100 million from, you know, taxing clothing sales, that kind of thing. And it just keeps, it's a cycle that keeps going and going and going. And I know they're having discussions at the legislature about wanting to sort of redo the tax policy and start over from the beginning where they're not just reacting here and there and just adding on these little things that just ends up being this big conglomeration of, you know, sort of a haphazard tax policy. They want to go back to the basics and really start over from the beginning, wipe the slate clean and, you know, figure out what kind of tax policy you want to set and how that moves forward and everyone needs to weigh in on that from what social services they need, how the business community weighs in, um, how personal income taxes fit into that. And it's a much broader discussion that it, it takes a long time to have and it's something that they're trying to push forward to the legislators just haven't had a whole lot of voice because they're always reacting to these these little fires that pop up and you know every two years the big fire of course is how to balance the state budget it's how to balance the state budget and just very quickly here one of the things that it's always interesting about this is sure uh, keno isn't a tax but if we're going to raise money off of people playing keno i don't think it's the ceos of corporations in the state who are going to be sitting there on a sunday afternoon <laughs> playing dollar games it's probably going to be people who don't make quite as much money in the state. I mean, it's not a tax, certainly, but in that way, a lot of advocates against gambling see it as pretty regressive. That's right. And, you know, there are certainly social costs to this. I mean, you know, uh, funding the, the Council on Problem Gambling and the work that they do, you know, is a direct effect of having more gaming in the state. So, um, you know, whether one balances out the other, whether you really want to be raising revenue off the backs of people who are you know, perhaps can't afford to be playing these games is another question. Uh, Harriet Jones is WNPR's business editor. She joins us to talk about gambling in the state. We've been talking about Kino with Brad Kane, managing editor for Hartford Business Journal. You can find more at hartfordbusiness.com. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the lawsuit against uh, Connecticut two uh, tribes in our state looking to build a third casino with help from the state of Connecticut in order to stave off what they see as job losses going to Massachusetts because of a new Springfield casino. Well, Massachusetts and MGM is fighting back. We're going to take a closer look at that coming up next, where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today we're talking about the state of gambling in our state. We've been talking about Keno, which is set to get going maybe in January. It's going to have a very small impact on the state budget. Something that has a much bigger impact on the state budget is revenue from the two tribal casinos in the state. Uh, now there's a lawsuit. MGM has filed suit attempting to block a law passed by the state legislature here that would allow the two tribes in Connecticut to build a casino off of tribal lands somewhere in the corridor between Hartford and Springfield. This new MGM casino that's going to be cropping up in Springfield wants to make sure that all of those customers uh, don't get siphoned off in the process. In just a moment, we'll be talking with two representatives from the state's tribes. First, though, if you want to join us, 860-275-7266. Uh, David in Woodbury, hi there. You're on where we live. Oh, hi there. Hi, everybody. And John, golly, I, I'm totally against gambling. We've, the last thing we need is a third casino. As the old saying 
says if 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 you don't play you can't win. <laughs> also, if you don't play you can't lose. It's a, it's a loser's game and and Kino a terrible idea. All somebody has to do is have a few drinks and especially after they lose and come home to an unhappy wife. It, it's I, I, totally against it. Well, David, thank you very much for your phone call. I, I appreciate it very much. Let's just go uh, quickly to, uh, uh, I believe it's uh, Dr. Heimel calling from New Haven. Hi there. Go ahead. Hey, I'm a transplant to the state, but I do think it's kind of interesting that, that the state's budget deficits are trying to be made up that is essentially a tax on lower income, less educated population in a blue state <laughs> does that strike anyone else the lotto and the scratch-offs and the we have a gap so now we're going to use kino as a solution to to, uh, to fund this gap well it's and it's so, a it's a question and thank you very much for your phone call it's a question we're trying to ask today one, one more quick phone call here from richard and he's killingly hi richard go ahead hi uh, my comment is that the the amount of money available for gambling in New England isn't elastic. There isn't more and more money available for gambling the more casinos you put in. So all these casinos are going to be hurting sooner or later. Richard, thank you very much. And, and Harry, we've been following this for, for quite some time. Look, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about casino expansion in states beyond Connecticut. This was before Massachusetts got, got into this. And there are a number of experts who said, there's only so much money out there. We just can't really support 10, 15 casinos in the Northeast. Well, turns out two things happened. We had a re big recession, and an awful lot of people didn't have as much money. And then there was more gambling every place. And now we see slot revenues of the two tribal casinos going down. And maybe, I don't know, maybe Richard is right. Maybe there's not enough money in the system to actually support all of this gambling. Right. Uh, you know, is it an ever-expanding pie, or is it a pie that's one size and people get different slices? You know, it's been interesting to see more gaming opening up in Rhode Island and also the first casino opening up in Massachusetts. They've had great numbers, you know, and whether is that novelty or are they generating more people who are interested in gambling or are they just attracting people away maybe from Connecticut, from other places to come and game there because that's, you know, it, it's it's got novelty value. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out, especially as more casinos come in, online in, in Massachusetts. And the question is always how far will people uh, drive to go play games? Well, let's uh, now turn to two people who we've had on the program before to talk about this. Kevin Brown is the Mohegan Tribal Chairman. Rodney Butler is the Mashantucket Pequot Chairman. They join us both by phone today. Um, Mr. Brown, Mr. Butler, thank you both for joining us here on Where We Live. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning again. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, well, it's, it's good to speak with you both. So first of all, why don't you just talk, and Kevin Brown, I'll ask you to, to talk first, and then uh, Rodney Butler, you can jump in, about the deal that the two tribes have struck together and with the state of Connecticut, essentially allowing you to build a third tribal casino. You're looking at someplace in the corridor north of Hartford before Springfield. Where does all that stand right now, Kevin? Uh, well, John, thanks, thanks very much, and thanks for having us back on because, uh, you know, as always, it, it helps for us to be able to clarify some of the misperceptions out there. And, and I'd like to start with just one very small thing, uh, and words have meaning. You said, what do we think about the fact that the state has allowed us to move forward and build a casino? And when, in fact, where we are in this whole process is the state has given the Pequot tribe and the Mohegan tribe the, uh, the avenue to investigate the, the economic viability uh, and to identify a town somewhere in the north central region of the state where we perhaps could build one 
subject to subsequent legislative agreements uh, early next year. Uh, and, and we started this process, as you know, a few months back, and, and I think what I'd like to kind of highlight here going in is first and foremost, not solely, but first and foremost, I, don't, I wouldn't want folks to, to miss the historical aspect of this agreement. These are two tribes that in the early 1600s split because a difference of opinion about the way we, sh we should move forward when we, when we had first contact with uh, the settlers here in this region. After centuries of conflict, after decades of gaming competition, here we are. And we're here because, quite frankly, MGM uh, was quoted as saying recently, we are not going to go peacefully. Well, all this is is a simple response to that. You know, I was deployed to the Middle East for a number of years uh, fighting our nation's wars. And there's an old Arab saying that says, me and my brother against my cousin, but be my brother and my cousin against the outsider. This is economic warfare. It's really that simple. And if the goal is for MGM to take jobs and revenue from the state of Connecticut, Rodney and I are joining together to, to defeat that. R Rodney Butler? Yep. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can, you can comment on this. I mean, uh, uh, Kevin Brown made it a point to clarify that the state has essentially allowed you to explore the notion of building a casino. I think that we all pretty much know that what we're talking about here is the two tribes getting together to actually build a casino. I guess I'm wondering, before we turn to the lawsuit that's been filed uh, by MGM, uh, if you can tell us where this stands right now. Are we closer to identifying a location? Are we closer to actually seeing a third casino in the state? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as Kevin uh, pointed out, we just you can't uh, overlook the historical nature of this thing. It really is incredible. Uh, but, but that said, um, yeah, we're early in the process, right? And so we came out uh, a few weeks ago with the, uh, the press announcement and the MAU signing and the fact that we've engaged a firm, Barbara Pearson firm, uh, to work on the RFP process. We're still on track to get that out in early October. Uh, we'll start soliciting interest from, from towns and developers within those towns. Harry Jones? So I, I'm curious, I mean, to get your take on what MGM has said about this, because they did file a lawsuit back when the, the uh, act was brought out that allowed you to go into this partnership and to seek a site. They're citing that the act violates the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, that it's unconstitutional, and it, it also violates the Constitution's Commerce Clause. Basically, it's saying if you keep people from out of state, out of this process, if we can't come and bid also in, on an equal footing with the tribes for a new site, this isn't constitutional. What, what, what would be your comment on that? Well, I think, you know, it's really not appropriate for us to comment. I mean, it's a, it's a suit against the state, and we're certainly supporting the state on, on their initiative here. And our understanding is the AG is prepared to come out in the next few weeks uh, regarding, uh, you know, with a feed, with follow-up on this. But, you know, you think about the process that we went through uh, to achieve at least this point to to continue to proceed looking at building a facility. Again, as Chairman pointed out, we don't have any final approval. But this was looked at by a lot of smart people for a long time in a very public and open process. And so a lot of information was out there. A lot of these concerns were shared early on in the process, and we vetted them uh, along with the uh, with the Attorney General to, to, to look at the concerns from a legal perspective, and we feel pretty confident about our position. Yeah, Kevin Brown, I guess I'm just wondering if you can comment on that. Obviously, yes, there is a, a lawsuit pending. It is against the state. It's not against uh, your tribes. The, the question really is that MGM is asking is, is it fair to allow the two tribal casinos in the state to be the only ones negotiating for the right to build a, a third casino in the state? Well, w one very simple point that I have to make is, uh, and, and it really is the anchor point for this conversation, 
there is a, there is a compact that is signed between the state and the two tribes that offers exclusivity to us for gaming in the state of Connecticut. Now, it, you know, once you depart from that point, uh, you are now, uh, again, as, as Chairman Butler said, uh, in a conversation with the state uh, about the lawsuit. But from our standpoint, that exclusivity clearly is at least a fair uh, depart point of departure for the conversation. Now, earlier in the show, we got a, an update on the status of Keno in Connecticut. And uh, because it's considered a casino game, the state is negotiating a deal with your tribes where you get 25% of the state's Keno revenue. Um, Rodney Butler, is this part of an overall negotiation with the state? And where do we stand right now with your deal on Keno with Connecticut? Well, it's not. I'd say it's a, it's a general conversation with the state that we've had uh, for years, right? I mean, as noted earlier, it was approved two or three years ago and then was later rescinded. But um, look, there's progress made. The deal that we had uh, a few years ago was still in place, uh, and uh, our attorneys are working um, with the lottery uh, on that, and we're pretty close to finalizing that. So looking forward to that moving forward pretty quickly. I'm curious what you think the prospects would be if you go ahead with this third casino. I mean, we've seen, you know, um, uh, slots revenues at the two casinos on a fairly steady downward slide. You had a good July, but then again, um, losses in August. If you build a third casino, why do you think it's going to be a success? Roddy Butler? Yeah, well, you, you know, I think you touched on that in the earlier segment, and a very good observation, and the governor even referred to it recently in, in, a, in a public statement that, you know, gaming in New England um, is becoming, he, he used the term ubiquitous, right? I mean, it, it's everywhere and, and growing. And so this really isn't about growing the market. This isn't about, you know, uh, uh, creating a large return on investment. This is about protecting jobs and revenue within the state. And knowing that the revenues are going to go somewhere in New England, and in this case, primarily just over just over the border of the state into Massachusetts, that's the goal of this, is to protect those state revenues and those jobs, even in the declining market. You know, if I, I could, if I could add on to that, you know, I'd just like to say that, that this, this statement about the, the ubiquitous nature of, of gaming and, and, its, uh, and the jobs associated with it, let's consider this fact. The state of Connecticut has outpaced the nation in tourism. Why do you think that's happened here in the state of Connecticut? At least a large part of that is the existence of these two casinos, and let's take it beyond the gaming discussion. All of the things that we provide at our destination integrated resorts. And while slot revenues may be declining, what we know is that there are a core of, of gamers out there, and I think we talked about this, John, the last time we were in to visit you, called convenience gamers. Uh, and, and those are the folks that are going to benefit from the recreational pursuit that this provides, and let's not mistake them for being problem gamers for the listener. Everyone that is considered a convenience gamer, a person who will li likely go to a closer casino, that does not automatically equate to a problem gamer, which is less than 2% of the entire population of people who go out and gamble. So the point here is, take Rodney's point about the fact that Connecticut is trying to remain competitive uh, in a greater New England landscape. Take Harriet's point about declining slot revenue. Add all of that to the fact that Connecticut tourism is outpacing the nation and recognize that all we're really doing here is trying to continue to provide the opportunity for jobs and revenue to come from what is a component part of the greater Connecticut tourism 
industry. We're talking today about gambling in Connecticut with Harry Jones, WNPR's business editor, and also with Kevin Brown, who you just heard from. He joins us on the phone. He's the uh, chairman of the Mohegan Tribe. Rodney Butler is the Mashantucket Pequot uh, Tribal Chairman. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. Turning to this issue of jobs, Harry, during a recent press conference, Governor Dan Malloy was asked about a statistic showing that Connecticut has recovered just about 88% of the jobs lost during the recession. Here's his response to, to that number. You know, I think that in Connecticut, that's an unfair statistic. I mean, the reality is, is that we're at 98.4% of the private sector uh, jobs. Um, and uh, one of the problems in, in Connecticut um, is uh, that, that gaming has become ubiquitous. Uh, so the casinos are down about 10,000 empo- direct employees. Uh, uh, and the sector, uh, uh, that, that comes out of the government number. Okay, so Harriet, I, I heard that in your story, and I said to myself, what does that mean exactly? What, what is the governor talking about there? Maybe you can explain a little bit about these job numbers and why he brings up the casino numbers when he talks about them. Yeah, he was um, making a, a point about one um, very interesting issue and ended up trying actually making a comment on another. So he's trying to explain a kind of abstruse point about the uh, employment statistics, which is that they're broken down into private sector jobs and public sector jobs. Um, when you look at recovery from the recession in private sector jobs, it's almost at 100%. The nation itself is at 140%. So Connecticut's recession recovery has lagged behind quite a lot. So we're just waiting for this point where we get to 100%, where we've made back all the jobs that we lost in in the recession. And Dan Malloy was trying to make the point that if you look at that private sector number, we're almost there, we're almost there. What's dragging us down is the government sector. Well, interestingly enough, Casino jobs are counted in the government sector because uh, those employees are employees of, of the, the tribal nations, which are separate sovereign governments. So he's saying, you know, what's really skewing these numbers is the government sector and the casino jobs. Well, he's right. that That is what's happening. But if, you know, in any um, analysis of the economy, you might really think of those casino jobs as private sector jobs. Sure. So... Um, you know, he's he had po- pointed to the fact that these casino jobs are what's dragging down uh, Connecticut's economic recovery, which is interesting if we're now thinking about actually adding a third casino. Well, uh, let me turn first to Kevin Brown to, to ask that question. Where do you see jobs right now at your casino and the associated businesses that, that you have in the state? Uh, how many jobs are you down from the time of the recession? And, and do, do you think that building this new casino actually helps to retain some jobs? Well, let me start, John, with the answer to your second question first and say that if it is the governor's contention that losing casino jobs is, is you know, not helping to stem the tide, then why wouldn't we all be about pursuing that very action and, and building another casino that will help meet what we know to be the demand in New England that does come to Connecticut? Uh, and to that end, if we build this north-central Connecticut casino, uh, we'll be able to retain jobs in gaming to, the, to probably to the tune of 50% of what is projected to be lost to those casinos that are being built in, in Massachusetts. Uh, roughly 2,300 construction jobs to, to put this place uh, into action. And then about 4,000 permanent full-time jobs by calendar year 2019. So over time, as competition increases in Massachusetts and then ultimately also in New York to our west, uh, you know, this is a this is a matter of reaching an equilibrium point 
And, and as I discussed with you today, I was in the studio, when you're talking about econ equilibrium in an economic equation of supply and demand, you have to find the price point. And in this case, the price point isn't how much gambling costs to do it. It's about convenience. It's about the mileage, too. And, and that's why all these casinos are cropping up all over the place is, is a recognition that in the supply-demand curve, that, that point where it intersects, that, that price point, is all about the convenience to gain. And that's all we're proposing here is a casino that is more convenient for those West, West Hartford, Glastonbury patrons that do have the disposable income, that look at this as a way of recreation and are not problem gamers, and putting it in an area where, A, it's closer and more convenient, and B, doesn't allow MGM to take that revenue and those jobs that come with it out of the state of Connecticut. And, and that was my, and Kevin, thank you for that. That was my fault for asking two questions in one. I'll, I'll ask you to get back to the first one. How many jobs have you lost since the recession at your casino? Uh, we, we've been over this ground. I think the, the safe uh, sort of 30,000-foot view of this, John, is, is over the past uh, 10 or 12 years, we've seen a reduction at both of our casinos of about 33% of what we were at peak uh, based on the competition of uh, Yonkers and casinos in Rhode Island, uh, taking us from a peak for each of us just above 10,000 to what we are now at of about roughly 7,000 each. And, and Rodney Butler, that sounds right to you? Yeah, that, that, that's accurate. And you know, and one of the things that uh, the job report, well, the job assumptions probably isn't taken into consideration of that the casino jobs are down, but what we've been doing at Foxwoods and what Mohegan's been doing a great job at is really focusing on the non-gaming side of the development side of the equation, and a lot of those jobs are captured in the in, in the private sector, not the public. Because I mean the public, but the private. Because what those jobs are, those are those are the Tangro outlet malls, right? I mean those are 900 good jobs that aren't getting captured in our numbers, but are a direct result of what we've been able to do. And there's a lot of restaurants uh, that, that Mohegan has done that don't get captured in their casino jobs. And so you're going to see the similar off, you know, spinoffs once we do the facility in the, in the Hartford region where we're going to focus on gaming, but we're going to look to partner with folks that can bring really good non-gaming jobs as well. Can I just, before I let you both go, and I really appreciate your time, can I just throw out a little hypothetical to you, Rodney Butler? And it, it gets back to this convenience gaming issue. Obviously, we've said this a few times throughout the course of this program, there are really smart people who look at these numbers, and, and you guys are a couple of smart people who know how, how the numbers work. Um, if, if it's more convenient for people and we can raise more money by having a third state casino, then wouldn't it stand to reason that if we had a, a fourth or a fifth or a sixth or a seventh or we had 10 or 15 casinos that, that we would make a lot more money and there'd be a lot more convenience gamblers who wouldn't have to drive very far, who just, you know, go be able to, to play their, their games wherever they want. I mean, is, is there a breaking point here? Have we figured out how many is the right number, or is three just like the right number for now? Well, I think in, in the Barrow's report, he, he focused on that. I mean, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to do targeted sites that don't have overlap uh, in, 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 a, in their competitive set, right? And so when you look at the Hartford region, you look at the region in south, uh, western Connecticut in the uh, outside of New York region. Again, those are opportunities for significant recapture. You know, but these things aren't aren't cheap to build, right? And so when you layer layer in the capital cost and the cost to operate, you know, you don't. If you have too many of them, obviously they're gonna they're gonna impact each other. But we felt like the spacing uh, from the original proposal of the two or three additional sites would have been would have been well absorbed by the market. Uh, Rodney Butler is the Mashantucket Pequot chairman. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Kevin Brown is the chairman of the Mohegan Tribe. Thank you, sir, for joining us. I appreciate it.
Thanks, John. Thanks, Harriet. We'll continue with Harriet Jones, WMPR's business editor, who's been following gambling in the state for us. You can call us at 860-275-7266 if you have thoughts about this, about whether or not we should have a third tribal casino, whether or not we should expand games like Keno or even lottery games. As a matter of fact, lottery is what we'll be talking about next. In the state of Illinois, you know, maybe you play, maybe you win, but you might not get paid right now because the state of Illinois' budget is in such bad shape. We'll be talking with a lawyer who's taking on the state of Illinois. That's next, where we live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on tomorrow's program, the world's population is growing very fast, but are our agricultural systems prepared to feed the 9 to 10 billion people who will be inhabiting our planet by the year 2050? We'll talk to author and environmental journalist Joel Bourne. His new book is called The End of Plenty, The Race to Feed a Crowded World. That's coming up tomorrow, Where We Live. Today on the program, we're talking about gambling and how states like Connecticut are relying on gambling revenue through a game like Keno that's set to start sometime around January, through casino gambling of the type that we were just talking about with the heads of the Mashantucket Pequots and the Mohegans, whether or not a, a third tribal casino will actually help stave off job loss in the state. As I talk about this with Harriet Jones, our business editor, I want to bring into the conversation someone who's following this from a very different standpoint. Tom Zimmerman is a lawyer for plaintiffs in the state of Illinois. They're looking to collect from the state after winning lottery games. Essentially, what the state of Illinois is saying is, our budget's in such bad shape, we can't actually pay out the prizes that we promised to winners. Tom Zimmerman joins us now. Welcome to Where We Live. Hello. Good morning. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm wondering first if you can just lay out exactly what the issue is here right now. Essentially, what we're seeing in the news is that the state of Illinois promises to pay out winners of jackpot games, and the state's saying we don't have the money to pay out. Am, am I saying this right? That's correct. The, the money is on deposit in the state lottery fund. Uh, over $250 million that the state is earning interest on. However, they're refusing to pay out winners who won in excess of $25,000. Now, I'm not going to ask you to be an analyst on the Illinois state budget, but for those of us in our audience who maybe don't follow it that closely, I mean, what's going on in Illinois that they say they don't have the money to pay the winners? The comptroller claims that there is no appropriation in place to authorize her to write a check because there has been no budget in place since July the 1st. Uh, yet they continue to use the state lottery fund money to pay the salary of the director of the lottery and fund the other ongoing operational expenses to operate the lottery. Um, so we're at a loss, we, but they can't have it both ways. How much money does the lottery make for the state of Illinois a year, Tom? Well, that's a, that, that's a very timely question because the, uh, the manager, the private manager who ran the lottery for the last few years just got fired. Uh, the reports are that the lottery actually lost money last year. The lottery lost money last year. So, so essentially the, the state is paying to put on a game that a lot of people spend money on and it's not even breaking even? Uh, that's what the reports are. It, it, it's an ongoing developing story. The um, manager just got fired a day or two ago. Uh, but our concern is a little bit different. We have uh, two or three dozen individuals who won prizes greater than $25,000. All told, there's about $288 million owing. And the money is there. We just want 
a court order to force the state to pay these prize winners, or alternatively, to enjoin the state from continuing to sell tickets where the potential payout is greater than $25,000 because they shouldn't be selling the tickets if they're not going to pay out the winners. Well, and those are two very interesting different points. I, I want to get to the second one in a moment, but, but let's get back to that first one. You say the money's there. The comptroller of the state of Illinois says the money's not there. We, we literally don't have the ability to, to pay, pay these winners out right now. And if you look at the, the state budget, it's not been passed. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe the state's right. The... The comptroller's argument is there's no appropriation. There's no budget that authorizes her to write the check. Any, any dollar that she spends has to be appropriated in the budget uh, and have some type of funding to pay for that money that she's paying out. Uh, and so it's simply that there's been no budget passed to allow her to write the check. But the money is on deposit. The last report that we saw as of June the 30th showed uh, there was over $244 million sitting in that state lottery fund. So I want to get to that second point that you made before, Tom Zimmerman. You, you basically say you'd like to keep the state, if they're not going to pay out, you'd like to keep the state from actually continuing these games. Talk about that uh, a little bit, if you will, because that seems to be a much more wide-reaching consequence. It gets right down to everything from you know how people might go into convenience stores and spend money on candy bars and sodas while they're uh, playing lottery games. It seems though something like that might have a huge economic impact on the state. If any private business engaged in this conduct, the state would come in and shut them down. But here it's the state that is engaging in this conduct. Since July the 1st, the state knew that they were not going to pay out winners in excess of $25,000. Yet they kept that quiet. They continued to sell tickets advertising that you can be an instant winner with an instant payout, all the while knowing that they were not going to pay out. They did that for two months until finally in late August, they were forced to announce that they were not making these payments. And th that's simply not an appropriate action. No private business would be allowed to engage in that conduct. So since, I mean, obviously this announcement is fairly recent, but since that announcement, has, is there any evidence that people have stopped buying tickets? I mean, you'd think, you know, if you know it's very, going to be very difficult to get paid, you might just not bother to go buy a ticket. We don't know uh, the answer to that because as of August the 17th, the state stopped publishing the names of the big winners. So we know uh, up until August the 17th, um, there are about $288 million that uh, have to be paid out, uh, but the state has refused to pay that money out. After August the 17th, we don't know how many more winners there are or what the sales are. I have been contacted by some folks who were lucky winners and, uh, and want to participate in the case, and they actually won after um, the announcement was made. I, I, obviously, Tom, you've looked into this uh, beyond just the purview of, of the state of Illinois. I mean, has this happened anywhere else? Have you seen other states that uh, have actually had the same problem where they're just not uh, paying out on their lottery winnings? No, this is unprecedented. We researched this thoroughly uh, before filing suit to see if there was any precedent out there if this had happened anywhere else, uh, and it has not. This is the first time 
uh, in the history of the lottery throughout the nation that a state uh, has refused to pay out. And, and, and I just have to ask you as a last thing, Tom, I mean, did you ever expect that this was going to be a, a big part of your career, that you were going to be, a, a, I guess, an anti-lottery crusader? <laughs> well, uh, we handle a lot of major class action litigation here. Uh, I'm just happy that we're able to uh, raise some public awareness on this issue because it, it really touches people's lives. You, you might think, well, you know, they haven't had the money up to this point, so, you know, what's a, another however long they have to wait? And we don't know how long they have to wait. We don't know if there will be a budget or when there will be a budget. The state is operating uh, and paying 90% of its bills right now through court orders and consent decrees. So there's no incentive whatsoever to get a budget in place. And, and the stories I've heard from these folks, people have had to take out loans. They're paying interest while the state sits on their money. Uh, people who uh, are working two jobs, who were looking to enjoy their, their golden years and maybe cut down on their, on their uh, hours that they have to work or, or relax a little bit, taking some friends out uh, to, to get away when they did, their mother had just recently passed away and they went through a long period of hospice to help them with their grieving process. So the, the stories go on and on. They're, they're, they really do uh, impact uh, the people's lives, and, and we're just hopeful that we can get this resolved quickly. Tom Zimmerman is a lawyer for plaintiffs in Illinois who are looking to collect from that state after winning lottery games. Tom, thank you so much for keeping us up to date on this. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. In just the last couple minutes, we have with Harry Jones, WNPR's business editor. So we've taken a look at uh, Kino, which is a game the state said it was going to bring in to try to fill the state coffers. Obviously, we were looking for money anywhere we possibly could. And we also talked about this potential third tribal casino off of tribal land. Uh, as we stated in that segment, there are some legal challenges and maybe some legal questions about how and when that could be done. Then you hear a story like this from Tom Zimmerman uh, from Illinois, where they're basically saying, look, when a state gets in trouble, maybe we're just going to stop paying out uh, winners. I, I don't know. It, it seems as though states especially in the Northeast where there's so much gambling right now, are going to be having these gambling conversations more and more. It seems like a way that states are looking to actually get money into its general fund. Maybe it's something that works. Maybe it's something long-term. It's not going to work. And it might be interesting to see how this works with the economic cycle, too, because you know uh, casinos really started to lose badly in the recession. Um, but as as the uh, economy swings upward again, you know, what effect does this have both on states' fiscal um, health and on how many people are willing to go out and how much more disposable income people have to go out and gamble? Does it increase the market for gaming? Does it increase the take the state gets from, from gambling? How is the economic cycle going to affect all of this, too? But it's also interesting, too. You heard Rodney Butler talk about the ancillary jobs that are created when you have a big tribal casino that has everything from sporting events to uh, concerts coming into uh, building a, a brand-new mall with, with outlet stores. That's all part of what we've seen as the big casino build across the Northeast. Uh, from what you're seeing, I mean, how does that play out? Because this third tribal casino is not going to be one of these places that has an outlet mall attached and can have a big arena bringing in national acts. It's going to be a place for 
as both tribal chairmen said, convenience gambling. Yeah, a slots barn? <laughs> well, and some they, people they, have they called it disparagingly no, a slots barn. <laughs> but but I mean, they're saying it's going to be a really nice casino, but not to the level of what you have down in your neck of the woods down in southeastern Connecticut. Well, uh, but that's the interesting thing about the southeast of Connecticut. It's one of the few places in the state that is still losing jobs. If you break out the labor market statistics across the state, Fairfield County is doing well, Hartford County is doing well. Southeast still losing jobs, and that's largely a function of the casino, casinos down there. So yes, you know, in years past they have augmented the tourism industry. They have been a kind of they've worked well with other attractions down there. But at the moment they're a drag. But it's interesting though too where the jobs are is very important. The tribal chairman talk about convenience gambling. Some people just want to go to a casino if it's going to be near them. They don't want to have to drive all the way from say Enfield to southeastern Connecticut. Well, maybe there's a there's a casino nearby and they can go there. But what about the jobs? The jobs also aren't necessarily as transportable. A lot of the jobs that the casinos were heralded for bringing into that area came after a big economic downturn in southeastern Connecticut. So and it sounds as though that part of the state's still struggling no matter what happens with the new casino in Har- the Hartford area. Yeah, and also when you look down the breakdown of, of who works at the casinos and where they come from, a lot of people have come in from foreign countries to work at the casinos. A lot of people who actually live all over the state work at the casinos down there. So, again, where is the employment going to come from? Where are people going to be attracted to work at some a third casino on the I-91 corridor? What kind of employment is it going to create? Harriet Jones made the long drive up from southeastern Connecticut <laughs> to join us today on the program. Harriet Jones, our business editor, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Our program produced by Tucker Ives with Lydia Brown. Also helped today from Betsy uh, Kaplan and Josh Nalea. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Feel better, Kion. Our digital editor is Heather Brandon, the executive producer of Where We Live, and also our technical producer today was Katie Tolarski. Thanks to Deborah Timms, Zachary LaSala, Amanda Gallagher, Stephanie Reef, all of our interns. Continue this conversation about gambling in the state at wnpr.org slash where we live. I'm John Dankowski. This is Where We Live. <laughs>